What's up, everyone? It's 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in for Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lawrence. Today, we're joined by Sparky Rose from Supercritical Agency to talk about growing your cannabis operation. But first, we do have to get into a little bit of cannabis legalization news. Let's go to the news summary. Hey, Tom and Miggy, what's up? Hey. Hey, Lauren. Happy oh. Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. It's Wednesday at 2 p.m. Thanks for joining us. We're going to talk about uh, what, what was going on this week in cannabis legalization news. Miggy, what was uh, the biggest uh, BS story that you saw? Well, we got a... Uh... I follow uh, the Future Cannabis Project on YouTube. Okay. And uh, Future Cannabis Project on YouTube. Big shout out. Those guys are awesome. And they they operate in Cali. And so they have a wonderful community that's been established for years. And they have great shows. So hopefully well, you guys all go subscribe for them. We're, we're trying to get some of them on. Funny you say about the uh, the, the culture and the, they've been there for a long time. So this gentleman here, Bamboo, uh, Bollywood Bam, uh, he uh, uh, goes off about raids going on in Santa Cruz right now. And, you know, it just kind of brought back memories of the raids that are going on in Santa uh, Ana. Do you remember that with the uh, the video of the cops who were uh, stealing food from the edibles? and uh, uh, Santa Ana raids, that had to be a couple years back now, right? Yeah, yeah. That was definitely within the early days of medical. But still, just what, what the fuck's up with the cops and still creating criminals out of this? Uh, you know, because you have to create criminals out of somebody because didn't you hear CNN news or CNN health is reporting that weed is not good for your heart. According to studies, you may love smoking weed, but it does not love your heart. According to the American Heart Association's new scientific statement on marijuana. But who funded those studies? Who Who funds those studies? Uh, the, the liquor industry, the liquor industry likes to fund those studies. It was brought to you by concerned citizens of Budweiser. All right. Or tobacco. Mm. And I believe talking to our guest early in the green room, he was saying normal has a good and uh, retort on this one. So that's yeah. so what else they, going on. It's been they, they've been waging the anti-war on marijuana now for 80 years. And then they're still always saying we need more research. Right. But it's not necessarily ever going to come because it's illegal to do the research. But then some people are fighting back. A grandmother oh, yeah. who was arrested for CBD. We have the update from the woman that was arrested at Disney World. Uh, so for CBD, she evidently has a powerful new uh, uh, legal team, according to the marijuana moment. It's Hester Burkhalter, the 70 year old grandmother who suffers from arthritis and had to go through a 12 hour stint because she had CBD. So she is suing for her rights. So I mean, good honor. I mean, what, what's up with Disney, though, on the anti CBD like marijuana light? Disney owns ESPN. Uh is it one of those things, though, like a ban on smoking? So, like, just to make sure that you're living the Disney fable that is uh, myth and, you know, romanticism and, and uh, complete falsehoods, uh, maybe nobody's supposed to smoke. So there's not even, like, designated smoking areas in Disney World. I'm not sure. It? I've been to Disney forever. But was it smokable or was it just, like, a, a topical? Because I think it was a topical. Let's see what they arrested her for because it was just for a topical. Then that is really, really, okay, chip, chip, up. Oh, it does say oil. Yeah, so she, it doesn't say uh, hemp flower joint. It does say that she had CBD oil and then the recommendation from her doctor. So, yeah, she was trying to treat her arthritis, not with a not with a combustible, not with like prohibition by. Uh, well, you're not allowed to smoke anything, but yeah. uh, it looks like CBD oil to that treat her arthritis. How fucked up is that? The I bet she's out of court. You, yeah. I bet she does. You think? I bet I bet uh, Disney writes a check to that woman. I don't know, man, because I know people on I'm friends with many people on the Facebook and I've seen one where this lady had it. She was asked to put her shirt inside out because it had the CBD pot leaf. Like it was a hemp shirt, you know, and oh, yeah, they, they so can't uh, different. anti free speech zone. Yeah, uh, you're not allowed to do that. And so that's going to be one of the interesting challenges to the um, the infringements on the ability to like advertise. So how long before the cannabis industry is so strong that they fight back? for free speech principles, just like the pharmaceutical drugs did. I mean, why would, when you watch the evening news on CBS or NBC, why do you think every advertisement is a pharmaceutical drug? Because they have a free speech right to make that advertisement. But not if you're a cannabis company. If you're a cannabis company, yeah. like, ooh, ooh, we can't have that as our logo. Ooh, ooh, don't show a bud. Ooh, be careful, you know? And can you imagine though, like a cannabis commercial, like at the end would have like 20 page disclaimer of like, well, if you get the case of munchies or, you know what I'm saying? Like right now, the stuff side is, effects include. When yeah. was the last time though you heard the side effects include? I think they just now say talk to your doctor about X. Dude, the fact that anal bleeding has been a side effect for one of these fucking things, you know, that's just our priorities are all fucked up. Like we can Dr. have a commercial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, this 
take this. It might help with the thing you got, but we just giving you three more things. Well, then it's not all good news. Uh, evidently, Illinois has just suffered a break-in. So oh, yeah. cannabis break another sales record. But then there was also a break-in at... Uh, well, let's first talk about how Illinois has set another cannabis sales record. I pulled up the wrong one, uh, listeners. But they sold nearly $61 million worth of product and 1.2 million SKUs or units uh, last month. So they're on target. How much? They've already sold over $300 million in the first seven months. So they basically are definitely going to break a half a billion dollars in their first year of sales. That's right. People want marijuana. They're spending a lot of money on it. So much so that uh, the Illinois State Police is investigating a break-in at a cannabis cultivation plant. And so uh, this is a popular popular label in Illinois, and it's it's an MSO, but uh, it used to be called Gold Leaf. Now it's called Verano. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the parent company is right here. It's this Atraxia or Artaraxia. Our guests, uh, stay tuned for him. He is a uh, cannabis consultant who can light, uh, shed some more light on the Atraxia's per- correct spelling or, or pronunciation. You know what? Uh, uh, I, I don't think you brought the wrong one on purpose or on, wrongly because that revenue that you showed just now, that income source, because you know what would help prevent people breaking into those places if it wasn't well, cash yeah. only. Well, if it wasn't cash only, there's that. But this was into a cultivations facility. So then it gets back to the old Willie, uh, Slick Willie Sutton. Remember Slick Willie Sutton from the 30s? No. You don't? Oh, come don't on. You're reference. the guy that would, you, know, you, you come on. You, of course you do. Uh, it was the, why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. And uh, so like, you know, that, that type of thing. That was Slick Willie Sutton on robbing banks during the Depression. Yeah, Sounds logical. Of course. But then uh, the cannabis cultivation facilities have to have all sorts of redundancies in their cameras. So essentially, if you are going to be, you know, robbing cannabis in Illinois, you're going to be doing it on camera. So, you know, that don't rob cannabis in Illinois. But then the uh, the security plans that go into uh, uh, your, your builds for your cultivation that issue like kind of got it to like, do I recommend somebody buy a, a, a light depth greenhouse or do I recommend they do premium indoor flower because it could be more like Fort Knox and it's more mm. stable and it's therefore more secure. Uh, but, either way should always be a Fort Knox issue. I mean, if you're doing uh, a recreational right. produce type. I mean, but yeah, if you're going to do a light depth greenhouse, a hybrid greenhouse, you could still make sure that it is exceedingly safe. You may have like a perimeter and you might have like some razor wire or something and cameras, maybe drones patrolling it. That would be hilarious. Uh, but it's 2020. I mean, you can go buy a drone for 1500 bucks. Dude, the uh, uh, Halo Labs here, they're an extraction specialist in uh, the parking lot. I've been to an event there. Uh, it has one of those big, uh, looks like derelicts from Doctor Who. Oh, the Daleks. Yeah, it looks like one of those, like police robot fuckers. I had to like, it, it fucking the sensors and everything. It's pretty, they're pretty cool. But yeah, yeah. you can have something like that, something automated. Automation is uh, is important because automation helps reduce uh, one of the chief causes of problems in the world, human error. Uh, speaking of human error, you ever have like one of those assholes cut you off when you're in traffic and you're like, God, where is the fire, buddy? And then you, uh, you, you lose sight of him for a while because he speeds off, swerving through as many lanes of traffic as possible until you get to your exit and you have a cop car like basically just all with its lights kind of taking up a, a large amount of the exit. And then you're like, hey, I recognize that car. That is an yeah. asshole. You got the right guy. <laughs> I had one of those yesterday when I was exiting uh, to, uh, to, oh. to, you know, to commute. And uh, it, was, it, it made me feel good. It, yeah. No, that's a good feeling. I mean, I, I, I honestly, you don't mind seeing assholes get so oppressed. No, no. And we need more of that in cannabis. We need more people uh, getting uh, good cannabis as opposed to getting screwed for trying to get cannabis and that access to it. And so yeah. it's, we're making progress, but man, there's just nothing going on with the COVID. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, we have some issues, dude. You know, like today would be a good day to arrest Brianna Taylor's killers. Yeah. Today would but be a great day, day to arrest Brianna Tomorrow. Taylor's you know, I mean, do they do they need to see the studies? Do they need to see more research? Is that what it is? Oh, man. But uh, when are they going to do that? Uh, if I was going to be a betting man before the election. Yeah. We'll wow. see. There's definitely something happening. But we should definitely just bring our guests on and talk about marketing. Absolutely. Talk about marketing. Hey, Sparky, what's going on? 
Not much. Um, loving, loving Chicago weather-wise today. It's a little cloudy, but the temperatures are a little bit cooler, uh, which I prefer. But yeah, having a fine day. Thank you for nice. very much for having me. Appreciate it. Great. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Supercritical? Sure. Uh, so Supercritical, uh, we build, build ourselves as a uh, full-spectrum consulting agency. Um, what we what we really focus on is capital services. So we help cannabis companies uh, raise capital. We help investors uh, place capital with cannabis companies. Um, we also offer some operational consulting. Uh, we've helped um, groups prepare their applications for uh, adult use licenses here in Illinois, for example. And we offer other aspects of uh, operational consulting. It could be on the finance side, <clears throat> it could be on the retail side, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that's pretty much what Supercritical does. Um, me personally, I've been in the cannabis industry for almost 15 years. Um, I started my career in brand marketing uh, about uh, 30 years ago, I guess. Um, and then I uh, accidentally got involved in cannabis. Um, I was uh, left Washington, D.C. and moved to California. And um, part of the whole Internet craze was a, a consultant at a large uh, Internet agency called Viant. We went public, made a little money, got hired from there away uh, by their largest client. And then uh, when the Internet bubble burst, um, I uh, got involved in an art gallery in San Francisco. And then um, September 11th hit. And so the art gallery kind of took a hit. Uh, because no one was buying luxury goods and I had to find something to do. No one was hiring internet strategists. So I did what anyone else would do. And I joined a punk rock band. And so uh, I've been playing, I've been, I've been playing drums since I was about four years old and I really just needed to get out of the house. And so I'm going to rehearsal and my bass player has lupus and he's hearing me bitch about, you know, the job market, you send out resumes, you don't hear anything back. And he says one day, he says, hey, man, it doesn't pay much, but if you just want to get out of the house, I work at a cannabis club, and for 15 bucks an hour, you can stand behind the counter and sell weed. And I had heard about cannabis clubs, but I'd never been to one. And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I was fascinated by it. I figured I'd do it for a few weeks till I got a gig somewhere, and that'd be it. So there's a whole story here. We could be here for 40 minutes just telling you this whole story. But anyway, eight weeks later, I'm the executive director of Compassionate Caregivers. Um, at the time, we were operating a dispensary in Oakland, a small dispensary in San Francisco. We had some cultivation. Uh, then uh, Oakland decided to start licensing uh, clubs. So uh, we won one of the first four dispensary licenses ever issued in the United States. What year? Um, the, ooh, we got the license was 2005. Wow. Four or five, right in there. Wow. Um, and then over the course of the next 18 months, I grew us to seven dispensaries across the state. The farthest north was Ukiah. The furthest south was uh, San Diego. We had three cultivation centers, about 280 employees, and we were doing $5 million a month in revenues. Uh, we got raided by the DEA. I pled to lesser charges. I got set to 37 months in federal prison. Uh, I served 22 in, six and a half way house. I got out 10 years ago. I uh, had to stay in LA for a year under the terms of my supervised release and pretty much had to start over. Uh, not only do they take all your money uh, when, they, when, the, when the DEA comes to get you, they also take all your computers as evidence. And so I didn't even like have my portfolio of my did previous you, work. Did, you, uh, like, did the company have like a lawyer on retainer? They're like, here's $100,000 of our money. We need you to hold this. So we had we had legal representation, but no, we did not have a stash of cash anywhere. So it wasn't um, like uh, disjointed. Huh? Well, that's the thing. Like they come in and they say this is tax evasion, this is money laundering. This money is not money; it is evidence. And so yeah. uh, because yeah. of that, then it's like, okay, hey, uh, thanks for tuning in. Get you're getting the real dope here at Cannabis Legalization News. Don't forget those <laughs> likes and subscribes. Make sure that you go give your lawyer a stack of money and say, just in case, I'm trying to follow the law, but just in case they come and knocking, because they're gonna take all that shit. Yeah, that sucks, dude. So, but can you guys still hear me? Completely compliant. Oh, yeah, yeah. State law, though, right? You were you weren't following. You were licensed. You were not going outside the your purview of your state. We were, license. yeah. So we were licensed in Oakland, um, and they were the only jurisdiction anywhere in California that was actually licensing anyone at the time. Um, even before Oakland, we were in operation, and the way it worked was because there were no regulations at all. If you wanted to open up a cannabis club somewhere. 
you would first talk to the governing body. It could be a city council, could be a board of supervisors. You go in front of them and you tell them, hey, we want to open a cannabis club. And then at that point, if you get them to give you the okay that they're not going to, to bother you, you then go to the local police and you say, hey, this is what we want to do. Are you guys copacetic? Because if you guys are just going to raid us, we just won't do it. Yeah. And um, and they're and they're typically straight with you. They're not going to say, "Oh, go ahead and do it," and then come and rage. I have not had that experience. We used to we used to be a joke in the Oakland PD. The Oakland PD would, uh, when a new class would come through, every now and then a guy would have a rookie partner, and he'd just bring them into our club. And I mean, it's wall to wall weed. We used to sell thousands of clones. We got live plants over here. I mean, it so was you're insane. like you're not just you're not just having product. You're like a nursery as well. I mean, so you're just a yeah. flop. Yeah. Yeah, and you could consume, so people could vape there. So there's smoke billowing out of it. It was crazy. This and so sounds the guy like, walked in. Like, you know, that's that's lovely comparatively with the legalization rubric that we have in Illinois. Like what you're describing is like a Willy Wonka esque atmosphere. We just be like, I never want to leave. But uh, <laughs> that we don't it have was like that. the Wild West. It was like yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you how crazy it was. But it was funny because they'd bring these young guys up there and like the guy put his hand on his gun like like yeah. we're about to do something uh, and the guy's like, no, man, this is totally legal. And yeah. I mean, you could just see heads exploding. Right. Was, like the law enforcement insane. still has that problem with hemp. But I find that to be fascinating regarding California's current regulatory landscape is still hyper local in the sense that they don't have this top down approach that a lot of other states that have legalized it like Illinois has. So he was, you know, Sparky, you were talking about you have to go to this municipal officer than that municipal officer. And you're just talking very, very locally. That's still kind of how California is licensed. It depends on if the municipality is going to allow the cannabis business, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely. And I mean, there's there's different flavors of it. I mean, Illinois kind of has that. There are you know jurisdictions that have decided to opt out of adult use. Right. Um, but yeah, basically, I mean, that's kind of how cannabis has been structured through California the entire time. The state has always taken the approach of you must allow this statewide. Anything over and above that is fine. So right. when we were operating, you know, it was under Proposition 215 or SB 420. I think it was uh, each individual patient was allowed to have up to six mature plants or yeah, six mature plants and 12 immature plants, or it might be reversed, but a small yeah. amount of plants. Um, but then each, that was the minimum. You had to allow that no matter where you were. But then each jurisdiction could set their own. So like in Oakland, you could have as many, uh, up to 99 plants, but you could wow. not exceed 10 square feet of canopy. And you could have up to three pounds of dry marijuana, whereas the, the, the state, you were only allowed to have, I think, up to six ounces was the limit. And so every jurisdiction had their own thing. So wherever you were setting up, you know, you had to make sure you were papered up correctly. And so, and the way you papered up was through durable powers of attorney. So you have patients who come in, they're allowed to possess this many plants and this many ounces of weed. They execute a durable power of attorney with you saying, now you are going to do that for me. So now I have enough durable powers of attorney to cover the fact that I'm sitting on 20,000 plants in my greenhouse. And that's uh, a record-keeping nightmare. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of work. Like I said, we had 280 employees and plenty of them were just making sure we were papered up. Yeah, for sure. Uh oh, our filing's not in order. And that's when the raid starts. Cause that, <laughs> but they, okay, you work your butt off to make sure your paperwork's in order. And it's in like reams and, and bankers boxes full of documents and stuff. They just come in, they take all that shit. Yeah. 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 That fucking One suck. And well, and you can see your computers and everything. So, I mean, that's like starting anew. You know, yeah, no, they got yeah. everything. And then, you know, they have a 98% conviction rating. When they make yeah. the decision to come and get you, don't think for a second that they don't have the goods. They got them. And if you right. fight, and if you fight, you get the maximum, period. And the Fed is known, you know, if you get under five years, that is very rare. It's pretty much five and up on everything. You got a slap on the wrist. Yeah, well, so when I was arrested, I was arrested. They had me for... 60 counts of promotional money laundering. And that's because I used Wells Fargo as a bank. That's the only reason. Um, and then they had me manufacturing and distributing more than a thousand plants, several counts of that. 
And so if you took all the potential sentences and strung them together, I was looking at like 603 years in prison. And that gets back to why, you know, it's so important for those two bills that are in Congress right now that are going to make it out of the the House of Representatives, but not the Senate, because it's the Safe Banking Act that would have uh, prevented you from being charged with money laundering. Uh, mm-hmm. it's not just it's two way street. So it wasn't just the bank that's exposing themselves to that liability and the bank will sell out their customer quicker than you can breathe out your next breath. <laughs> And so like, it's, that ain't it. And then also it was the, uh, they had the ability to have the appropriation with the Department of Justice to conduct this prosecution. So the federal yeah. government paid to have you raided and to take all that stuff. And well, so that, that's the defunding of the medical that they currently have from the Robacher fire. Uh, McClintock is the, the new, there's like five of them or four of them now. And so that's also in Congress with the budget this year. And we'll see if that, uh, that defunding will be expanded from medical to all state marijuana laws, which would be fantastic, it would effectively neuter the Department of Justice from ever doing something like that again. So one thing I can tell you, and I don't know, <clears throat> I don't recall if this was something that they were required to do and maybe uh, they released during um, my sentencing hearing or if it was just passed on to me by my lawyer. But I guess at the end of every one of these investigations, they have to report what they spent on the investigation. And so I remember because they took $1.4 million out of our bank accounts. And if I recall correctly, they spent, they were either over or under $100,000, $1.3 million or $1.6 million on investigating us. Investigating us, I'm running seven stores with signage. Everybody knows who we are. We're the largest cannabis company in the world at the time. Yeah, and it's like, phone book? I mean, you, yeah, exactly, totally. And it's yeah, just like, you know, according you to could the work up. There's, you made there's it. You are somebody. Wow, I'm in the there's, there's literally no investigation to be yeah. done. They've got me. The, I was on the news talking about us selling weed. I mean, it, oh, there, there's no invest. They still spent. And that's what I said. When they come and get you, trust me, they have the goods and they're willing to spend the money to make sure they have all the goods because that's what they do. Let's face it. Any trial that would be for cannabis anyways, if they're going to go after you, it's slanted, right? Like our friend Lance Glore had the same situation because in Washington, uh, same shit. It was the um, uh, caregiver model where I'd go to dispensary, sign a paper saying, yes, you're my provider for today or whatever. You know, it's all semantics. It's all paperwork. You know, none of these guys should be criminals anyways, just like the weight, the amount of weight that we care about things. But, um, yeah, no, uh, uh, same thing happened here in Washington where they'll pick and choose people and then bury you. It, you know, you can't use uh, medicinal as a, as a defense. Uh, right. That's the know. big thing. that It yeah. doesn't exist. You say medical marijuana, and it's like, yeah, that's not a thing, man. It's not a thing. Yeah. 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 So never entertained that it was. Mm-hmm. According to the federal government, it is a regulation in commerce which is valid. So, yeah. like in theory, Congress could declare that broccoli is a terrible danger to society and then ban it under penalty of 80 years for no good reason at all if it's a commerce regulation. But that's the limit of the commerce power. It's just insane. And who's the finder of ultimate facts? Congress. Yeah. Three, how do you spend $3 million on a guy who's on TV, though? I'm just saying, like, how do you... Oh, there are ways. See, this is a, an act. I had to go to Mexico to do the surveillance. <laughs> so I was in the, on the beach, having some drinks, and then I'm like, hey, uh, send me a dossier. No, 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 I don't like this paper quality. Go get this in matte finish. We're trying to build a case here, damn it. <laughs> Sparky, I mean, like, th- that kind of experience that you've had, it's, it's kind of like the, the biggest resume you could have in this freaking industry, you know? Like... Most people have been burned. Like we're still on the cusp of like it being a legitimate, respectable uh, uh, interaction between consenting adults. You know, mm-hmm. some people are still using fake names. Some people are not look upable and are out there collecting investments, like the MedMen guys. You know how much money they'd mm-hmm. raise, or any of these other places. But you, on the other hand, ran a successful business, and were prosecuted for being successful. Essentially, in my opinion, that's how that works. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one way to look at it. And it's the funny thing is, you know, if if I go out personally to try to raise money for a company that I would run, it is largely considered to your institutional investors uh, uninvestable because I am a felon. Um, and that's a nice little thing to hang around your neck. It's way fun. 
Um, Series exam is, gonna go then, which is why I'm very bullish on what is it, the More uh, Act, the More Act, called? the M O R E, the Maryland. And I, I think both. I think both Safe and More expunge previous federal offenses because no, the Safe I don't think does. The More oh, does. The more. more More actually deregs, and then yeah. like uh, I think it's the Marijuana Opportunity Reform something or, Fun, or yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. that's that's also coming back up in Congress, but we really need, and this uh, we have. Uh, Republican viewers and, and listeners on on our podcast, and so they they sometimes get bad when we're like, boy, wouldn't it be great if Joe Biden won? Uh, <laughs> and then like he, if if five votes in the Senate flip, and suddenly they have both houses and the Black Lives Matter movement and like social equity and justice and that redistribution of wealth away from the the corporate craziness that we've had that have just put in. I mean, like how close to people are? are how how many people are out there just teetering? You know, 50 million, 70. I mean, I, I, you, we, we talked to uh, the man who's uh, been organizing HempFest for the past 29 years, Vivian McPeak. And HempFest is a whole operation. You know, it's 100,000 people coming together for free, a First Amendment festival. What about all those event planners and all that? Um, have you seen any, uh, Sparky, in your, in your uh, operations, have you seen any, like, slowdown because of the COVID-19 outbreak? Um, no. No, actually, quite the opposite. I mean, cannabis sales are through the ceiling everywhere. Um, so, I mean, the, really, the, the only thing that's slowing down the industry is that capital is constrained right now. No. Um, and, and it's constrained because of the uncertainty more than anything. I mean, it, it was contracting before COVID, right? You had the vape crisis, which was no help. You had these stunning uh, uh, earnings coming from these public companies, which were all really, really, really bad. So the stocks start tanking. And then comes around COVID, um, you know, uh, the, the, and so with those things going down, people weren't wild about cannabis, like the bubble was bursting and then COVID hits. And this is like a lifeline to every cannabis company because now everyone is, you know, at least short term kind of flush. Money is coming in and it's coming in big and it's nice. coming in fast. Um, the, the, the upshot of COVID is that it proves for the first time something that we, I think everyone in the industry had always believed, and that is much like other vices, be it tobacco or alcohol, that cannabis would be uh, uh, recession proof. Um, that really hadn't ever been borne out on a very big scale. Um, and there, and there were questions because the, the, the price point on cannabis is obviously a lot larger than tobacco or alcohol. Um, but here we've seen it not only just, you know, just thriving in a terrible, terrible financial event, not quite a recession, but certainly just like the effects of a really bad recession, plus a pandemic, and we're thriving, I mean, doing better than we've ever done. And so I think that is a strong, um, uh, it really attests to the fact that this industry is here and here to stay, you know, and, and so I think, I also think that uh, specifically Illinois in this next bastard license is coming out because the opportunities in Illinois are, I don't want to be, uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but I mean, they're, they're kind of a slam dunk, man. If you get an adult use license in Illinois, oh, it's practically right. a license to print money. Correct. And so I don't think even the most scared investor out there, I don't think they're going to be able to risk I mean, uh, uh, they're going to risk missing Illinois. And so I think there's going to be a sudden wave of capital coming to Illinois that I think is just going to kind of get everyone a little more comfortable investing in cannabis. And then you have all these SPACs out there that have insane sums of money that they have to use within 36 months of when they were formed. So there should be a lot of M&A going on. And so I think all of that activity, I think, will kind of bring us to another wave of capital, hopefully at the beginning of 2021. That'll be fantastic. Now, how is social equity going to play into this? Because if capital wants to get in and they want to, to have their interest in the industry, how do they partner and find the social equity talent that is going to be able to enable them to obtain the license? Or is it all going to be the, the licenses are awarded, then they're gobbled up? So social equity, first of all, I think social equity is cannabis from here on out. I, I, I don't think you're going to see anything happen in cannabis that isn't somehow tied to social equity. And I think that's the way it should be uh, from personal experience. Um, <laughs> Thank you for him. He's been to federal prison. <laughs> this is true. Um, 
so uh so i think social equity is, is there um but that is kind of the the big square peg in the round hole especially when you have social equity requirements written the way they are in illinois and that is with 51 percent ownership and control going to the social equity applicant and that one percent is a really big deal to the person putting up the money, particularly if the person who is the social equity applicant has absolutely no experience in the cannabis space, which happens to be a vast majority of the people who are applying. And, and so that, that's a big, big problem. Um, and, and there's different views, you know, um, I, based on what I've seen, like Illinois, I don't think that the entire intent of Illinois' Uh, laws are to make sure that uh, social equity people are in the business long term. They're literally trying to move capital from point A to point B, which is why they didn't put, I think, more onerous terms on how long the social equity applicant must hold on to their equity. And the point is, that, like from reviewing the law, they were it was not even license specific. And so like you have to like look at what type of license for its holding period. And the holding periods weren't that bad for my recall, my recollection, my recollection. Uh, it was only about two years for the cultivation, the craft growers license. And I really don't recall them speaking to this, the retail license at all. Right. And like the penalties involved are, are like a joke. Like it's like, you know. But, uh, right, it's, it's, it's the discount you got on your your license. So, like and, 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 I, bucks. and I remember this came up at a panel that I saw, and I don't want to attribute this to the wrong person, but I do believe it was a a, a panel. It was either uh, Congresswoman Cassidy or it was Troy Hutchinson, I believe. Uh, again, don't quote me on that, but um, you know, they they said they didn't want to uh, you know prevent the mobility of individuals because the bottom line is, hey, if they sell it out of the gate. And you know they sell it for five million dollars, whatever the number is that comes to them. Well, then they take that money, they reinvest it in the community, and that's that's just as good. It doesn't have to be that they hold yeah, on. Yeah, I, I I tend to disagree. It's kind of like the old adage of the person who wins the lottery and files for bankruptcy because suddenly this money was just bestowed upon them, and they never really understood how it. I mean, like you're you were speaking about how you built a team and built revenues for uh, your, and I think it, you can accredit that to you being a drummer. You're you're used to organizing people by rhythm <laughs> and getting them to do what you need them to. Uh, but uh, that is a particular skill that you just don't, you know, you you could learn in theory if you get lucky enough to hold one of these licenses. If that is your, yeah, hey, I would love to pay out, but the knowledge that I get from the payout is cool. I don't, I didn't really earn that. I just happened to be social equity. Now I can actually apply that to uh, learning a skill that will help me actually make that money go into generations as opposed to just evaporate. Yeah, I mean, so, and that's kind of something we say it's super critical. So uh, we talk to clients and a lot of times clients will ask us, um, you know, what types of companies are you guys looking uh, to represent? You know, are we specific to cultivation? Are we specific to retail? And, or, or do we have certain size? You got to be, you know, yay big. You have to be pre-revenue, post-revenue, all this sort of, sorts of um, uh, parameters. And, you know, for us, it's really none of that. It's, are you doing this for the right reason? You know, if we if we believe in your plan, I mean, that's kind of basic, but why do you want to get in the industry? Because, you know, the money will come, the money will take care of itself. If you're not here for, for a larger reason, if you don't have respect for the plant, if you don't understand what it took to get us to this point, I, I'm not really interested in, in working with you. If, if you yeah. just want to, hey, I want to go flip this and make some money. Hey, good on you, man. But, but that's you, not, that's yeah, not that, what I'm about. That's no, not me what too, I do. man. I got that. And so like, that's yeah. one of the nice things about my law firm that I have because then I'm like, nah, well, maybe I'm not accepting you as a client right now. Uh, or because like you can get to know them and if they are really in it for a flip or they just think that they have this strategy where they're going to push this guy out of the way and then take it and it's going to go into X. I'm like, well, tell me about X. Well, I don't necessarily like this stuff. Actually, I think everybody who uses it's a drug addict. I'm like, you're you're not the client for me. Uh, but there's uh, there is a large culture. And that's why Miggy and I do this. And like as we were talking, um, I didn't know your your full backstory. So I'm like, man, this could have been a Sunday show because we like to do our Wednesday shows is more of our commerce, you know, the industry shows where there can be more salesmen, you know, and then uh, but then our, our Sunday shows is for the activists. And so uh, you actually 
hit both, which I find that that's really the point of this industry. This industry is it's it's world changing. It's it's uh, doing the right thing. And it's really paying respect to the people that that came before you and then really stuck their neck out there. And then like really stuck their neck out there. Yeah. And uh, and now all these people that are just getting rich and they aren't they aren't doing that. They aren't honoring it. Um, uh, I just don't. I don't, you don't have to work with them because the industry grows so fast and there is so much money in there. Yeah. You can work with the person that you want to work with. And hopefully that leads to um, an industry that does become more socially equitable and, and have a lot of wealth that's created in the right way, you know? Well, and Tom, you mentioned uh, doing things the hard way as far as like, this would be a half million dollar investment to get into an industry the hard way. Like you're going to learn that way. You're going to throw all that money and, and, and then decide to learn about things. <laughs> I, I think generally the quality of the products and things will always prevail as far as, you know, uh, you know, I always like to think that the quality of the grow is going to be the quality of the grower, you know, mm -hmm. and kind of the same thing with branding and whatever else comes out next. Uh, hopefully we can weed out that big, bad stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, better always beats first. That's what I tell people who are interested in getting into the space. I'm like, trust me, better universally beats the first guy there. Um, very rarely is that not the case. And so, you know, there's always opportunity. I mean, you know, I, I kind of tell people when they talk about, should I get in the space, you know, have I missed out? And I'm like, man, we're not even to my space. We're like Friendster, you oh, know, yeah. maybe, you know, somewhere Speaking yeah, of what exactly. you, with that, like, you mentioned uh, before the show that you work with a brand called Verano, and this is their parent company, the one that had their their Abington. And so, uh, how do you so, pronounce Atraxia? How how's that? Uh, so it's it the parent company is actually Verano, um, but originally Verano was Ataraxia, and so Ataraxia, the its license still says Ataraxia because yeah. I don't believe you can even change that. You have to keep it exactly the same. And so they probably got that from the licenses. But yeah, no, that's Verano's uh, production facility. They're a great company. I'm a fan of their products. Um, and I'm yeah. not just saying that because one of my clients uh, sells a lot of product to them. <laughs> no, 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 I agree with you. And then they have a reputation for selling out quick. And so the, the nice thing about the, that is that they can they can achieve that level. But then if they ever have a bad batch, the people are going to be merciless on the, on, on the internet comments about them. But um yeah. I really enjoy the Verano products. And so how did you come by working with them? So, um, well, this is funny because you kind of left off, I think, after I got out of prison. I hadn't even moved to Chicago left. And so this will go right right in there. So uh, after I moved to Chicago, uh, I worked at Ogilvy and Mather for a period of time. And then um, through my wife, I met someone who was a consultant and she was helping uh, some of the companies here get their uh, applications together for the original medical marijuana, uh, medical marijuana uh, pilot program. And so she needed some help with some branding. So I did that for her. And then she wanted to start a company, uh, a product company. And so I helped her start a company called Sacred. And I did all the branding and packaging. And it started off as a THC infused personal lubricant company. Uh, and it has since transitioned into a CBD company um, that produces pain products, uh, mostly topicals, but we also do tinctures as well. Um, and actually getting right, getting back into the THC market in California and Florida later this year. Uh, if everything goes to plan. And so um, did, did Sacred. And then after Sacred, I helped start Papa and Barkley, which is the number one topicals brand in California. Uh, we also have a small concentrates uh, business. And uh, we just launched a new sugar-free gummy line about a week and a half ago. Um, and P&B is doing great. Um, I know the founder uh, for about 20 years. And so I did all of their branding and packaging and marketing for like the first two years of that company. Uh, we just raised $35 million at a $333 million valuation. So yay, nice. P&B. Yeah. Um, but they make fantastic products. So they also do CBD products as well. Look them up. $333 um, million valuation. That sounds like a lot of paper. That's a lot of paper, especially when you focus on topicals, which is about, what, 4% of the market. It's pretty wow. good. Uh, it's, wow. it's easily, I'll say right now, as, as, as a brand marketer, Papa and Barkley is easily the best work of my career. And I, and I don't know that I'll ever beat it. I'm super proud of, of uh, the it's work that's over there on that brand. It's good yeah. it, is, it is. It really is. Um, and then uh, after Impopo and Barkley, I was chief marketing officer at Pharmacan uh, for a year. Uh, I, I developed and launched Matter, which is their product brand, um, and then also redesigned all their dispensaries under the Verilife brand. Um, and then after uh, I left Pharmacan, 
Uh, I started 4042 North, which is a cannabis-focused brand marketing agency in Chicago. And then last October, Supercritical. That's how we got here. Nice. Yeah. And I'm glad that the industry has been kind to you since you've uh, given so much of your life to the industry. That's a good thing to have, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, Yeah. And and the fun, you know, the one thing that people have always asked me is, um, you know, would you do it again? Knowing what you know now, you know, knowing that I was going to get arrested and all that sort of stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, yeah, I would. (laughs) I mean, it was a lot of fun when I did it. And I learned a lot in prison. Let me tell you, I, I firmly believe everybody in the United States should have to go to prison for like 30 days or something. Um, <laughs> I just think the world would be a vastly better place. Because place I'm to telling you, <laughs> you, you have no what I, uh, you have no idea what it is to lose your freedom until it's taken away from you. And it's a big deal, man. It is, it is different. You know? And I went to minimum security prison. It's forced adult summer camp is what it is. It's no big deal. It's the easiest time you'll do, but it still sucks, man. It fucking blows. There's is it worse than COVID quarantine? Uh, by a long, yeah. Make yeah, sure that you bad. explain this to people. Like, no, no, no. Hey, kids, settle down. I've been to federal prison, and not like this the the, the hard ones. <laughs> yeah, no, I went to the easy one, like a yeah. man. Um, yeah, no, it was pretty easy time. I went to Lompoc. So Lompoc is uh, in St. Louis Obispo, right around St. Louis Obispo. It's this beautiful area in California. And uh, we were, it's, it's located next to Vandenberg Air Force Base. Um, so we help, we work on the base sometimes, um, janitorial services, but we also have a 1600 acre farm and a working dairy. So oh, we have 1200 head of cattle, 600 dairy cattle, 600 black Angus beef cattle. And make the person and then, wake up and, and, and milk the cows? Get absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So the, the, the prisoners yeah. run uh, the butcher shop. The prisoners run the dairy. Okay, I used to run six. I used to have a six acre plot and I used to grow all the vegetables for our paid? prison and prison dollar uh, 21 an hour. But look at the service. Uh, dollar. Look at the service yeah. that you're learning. You know, it's like, oh, when I get out of here, I guess I can. Oh, I, I, they put me there because they knew I knew how to grow stuff. So oh, I grew vegetables. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, my day was you'd wake up, you'd go down to the to the uh, area where we had all the farming equipment. I'd grab a pickup truck, a couple of guys, a dog. We'd drive out to my acreage, which is like, you know, half a mile away. No no guards or nothing. And, and then you'd go and you'd work. The, the CO would drive out on a little four-wheeler, a little gator, and bring you your lunch and the styrofoam thing. And then at the end of your shift, you'd go back, and then the rest of the day is yours. You know, well, and you're, you're in a cell, right? At, at, at the no, end of the day. no, it was like a it was like a military barracks. So we had a giant two of them, two giant buildings with bunks, and there was about I don't know three hundred guys per barrack. It so was a right big right. open rows of bunks. It sounds to me more like forced labor or like, you know, indentured yeah. servitude as opposed to imprisonment. That, that is that is part of the deal. Yeah. Um, and so but you have things like a weight pile. We had bocce ball, tennis courts, softball, you know, lots of TVs, pool uh, tables, activities, you know. Shit. Yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like I said, as far as doing time, it was a breeze. But uh, yeah, it still blows. Oh, Make no mistake. It's still your problem. Yeah, you can invite. We're not talking any business. You can invite me back on Sunday, and we'll just talk straight <laughs> fucking business. I'll just freak, you know, your various audiences out. Well, that's one of the well. things because I had a good year this year, and so I'm like, man, I got to throw some money in somebody's commissary. And so, uh, like, what? But then I'm like, all right, but I, I'm in a tax bracket, man. And so, like, uh, I, I prefer to throw some money in somebody's commissary and be able to deduct that for my ass. Oh yeah, uh, for forever. You can do that. Freedom Grow Forever's back. Freedom Grow Forever? All right, I'll deduct it from Freedom Grow. <laughs> but they put money on people's books and they're a 501c3. That's, uh, that's awesome, man. You got to have money on your books, man. So, like, let's Especially talk a little bit. when it's Tamale Day. Uh, when, when it's what day? Tamale Day? Tamale Day. The tamales that they serve in federal prison come out of MREs from Desert Storm. Yeah. Oh, shit. Ah. It's the one day nobody goes to eat. Everyone eats out of their locker unless uh. you're broke. If you have no money on your books, those are the poor guys who have to eat oh, the tamales, God. man. It's wrong. It's wrong. Damn. So uh, we, sh- we don't treat people right in this country sometimes. It just makes me question if we're all, you know, just unsympathetic assholes but yeah. you know weed is coming to illinois so hopefully change is coming uh sparky what do you think the uh the trend is going to be with uh, round two or uh when do you think it's actually going to hit that we're going to get answers 
So, you know, September 19th is the stake in the ground, according to Toya Hutchinson uh, from that article in Cranes right. uh, for dispensaries. And, right. you know, Kraft and, and the others are supposed to come around, uh, around the same time. You know, right now, I think all we can all hope for is let's hope they're done by October 1st. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see if they're actually going to accept second round applications on January 1st, like they're supposed to for dispensaries, if they're just going to kind of push things a little bit further. Um, you know, uh, no one really knows what's going to happen. I've heard a lot, I mean, lots of rumors that I think are, you know, might be a bit crazy um, from a procedural sort of point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, people talking that they're going to have, you know, expand craft grows like out of the gate, like the data license hit, everyone's going to be, you know, way more than 5,000 square feet or that they're going to do it and different than what they say Everybody's in the law. just going to go broke. Every, I mean, like, you know, that's going to happen. I don't think we have the, uh, the cultivation capa- capital when it comes to people that understand how to flower that space of a room. Uh, well, and then not only that, the uh, the construction issues, and so they they have that six month rule. So if they announce them all in October, they're going to have to say they don't have to be operational in six months. Well, yeah, that's that's another thing that you have to take in consideration. Is it's also the winter, man. That's right. a whole different scene. Um, but uh, you know, it does say in the in the in the legislation that you know if you don't hear, or I think you know, it's not the legislation. It was in one of the Q and A's that if you come to six months and you're not open, if you're showing progress. They're going to give you an extension. They yeah. just want to come six months later, and you're like, "Yeah, we're still raising money." Yeah, I don't right. think everybody. You got to roll. I think you're if absolutely you're, right. If you got three more months of construction, but you got your pad laid, you know, and everybody's contracted and the money's there, yeah, yeah they're going to give you the time. Because um, yeah. we had a lot of people ask us about that, and we're oh, yeah. worried. And I'm like, you know, uh, the 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 few um, interactions that I've had with the various departments, either IDFPR or, or AG, have all been very congenial i mean they're yep. not a, like a bunch of assholes just trying nope. to trip people up um, they're very friendly uh, folks and, and they're they're kind of in this with us you know they're yeah. uh I, right. I i you know i they're, they're they're definitely doing their best to make it um as as uh, amenable as possible to everybody i think do you I guys think, think right. oh, oh, sorry, do you guys think um kind of like when medical and recreational markets begin uh mystery weeds gonna appear when all of a sudden legalization happens you know what i'm saying like someone has a grow right now and then mm-hmm. Once you guys' permits get approved and they happen to be on a list, you can be like, sweet, here's 100 pounds that I happen to have. I mean, is, do you think there's anything like yeah. that? You know? No, I, I don't think you're going to be able to get that through BioTrack. I mean, just because right. of BioTrack, there's, there's no way. I mean, you know, um, I, I haven't uh, really delved into the legislation as part of all the regulations, but like, you know, would I be surprised to suddenly, you know, when craft hits, see a bunch of new genetics that we've never seen before. And that's always been kind of thing with States, you know, at least they're overt about it in Canada, but like basically in most States it's okay. We're going to start this marijuana program. And as soon as everyone's allowed to grow, we're going to go like this for a little bit. And then, Oh, look, plants and seeds. Isn't that nice? It (laughs) just kind of magically appears out of nowhere, like by the grace of God. Yeah. The Um, sport brought them. That was like yeah. one of the one of the things that because uh, I do little shticks on here, and so you know it's it's kind of how I do marketing, and then uh, and so I, one of my hooks was, and if you stick around until the end, I'll explain to you how the cannabis plants magically get into the state the day after they're legal, <laughs> and then the answer was a stork brings them. <laughs> That's yeah. a good one, dude. Yeah, Canna Claus. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of little idiosyncrasies like that, but you know, every everyone's doing their best. Um, the uh, you know, I think I I really appreciate that Illinois uh, was the first you know state to pass adult use by legislature. I think that's really great uh, and not a ballot initiative. And you know, I think they've really put their best foot forward. I mean, this is that's walking on the edge of a razor blade trying to make social equity work without just opening yourself up for endless endless lawsuits. Right. And so is it perfect? No. Are there going to be bumps? Of course. Um, we'll learn from those. But I think as a first foot forward, you know, I think they've done a very good job of what they've put together. Um, and hopefully it, it goes to plan. You know, we'll see. Um, I, do, I do think, though, that uh, the, the big 18, if you will, um, I, I, I hope they're looking over their shoulder because the, 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 the level of quality you can get out of 5,000 square foot grow you simply cannot match in a 200,000 square foot grow. You just can't fundamentally cannot happen. And so, you know, yeah, everything in this state is going to sell no matter what you do. It is sold for the next two or three years because we have nowhere near the, the, the capacity we need. 
But if you think you're always going to get top top grade price, not when these other guys hit. I mean, you're yeah. going to have. I hope you factored that in. You doing light depth greenhouses or what type of stuff are you telling your, your uh, cannabis uh, cultivation uh, clients to do? Cause I mean, if you're going to try to do a premium flower product, okay. But what happens in five years when the price is cut in half, you know, or, or, or how are so, you counseling them? So that that's kind of what we tell everybody. It's, you know, if you're going to, so my view of the cannabis industry and sort of, you look at the supply chain continuum and we're going to leave ancillary out of it for a minute, but you have cultivation, manufacturing slash processing and retail, right? The, the big three, uh, you know, cultivation is great in a highly regulated state. Uh, like, you know, let's look at Michigan, let's look at Massachusetts, let's look at Illinois. You're still getting 3000 to, in some cases, $4,300 a fucking pound yep. uh, in those states. Wholesale so, price. Exactly. That's whole fucking wholesale. And so for a period of time, you know, you're minting cash. But here's another thing. Now, this won't happen in Illinois because Illinois has limited licensure, but virtually, uh, if not absolutely, every other adult use um, state has not does not have cap licensing. It's more of like any vice. It's, hey, you know, strip club or liquor store, just check these boxes. You check them off. Here's your license. Piece of cake. And so in those states, the wholesale price of weed tanks 50% over the first three years pretty much universally. And so if you're going to get into cultivation, A, plan for that shit. B, you better realize that you're a farmer, man. I don't care where you do it. You're a farmer. And if they ever allow international, you're dead to rights. Dead to rights. Because this, the United States is arguably the single most expensive place to grow weed in the world. Yeah, you're so, not going to compete against Colombia's price per gram. You're yeah. not going to compete. Any, anybody in the tropics, man, you get an extra cycle per year out of the gate, not even knowing what you're doing. Less environmental issues, less labor laws, cheaper labor. Jesus, are you crazy? So, yeah, that's that's the Grim Reaper on cultivation. You know, you better want to be a Monsanto or whatever the hell you're going to do. Mm. And then if you look at retail, you know, number one, the margins aren't that great. Right. It's pretty much 100 percent. That's it. And that's kind of shitty for retail. And so at 100 percent markup, it's all fantastic when your average ticket is $80 a ticket. But what happens when it's 20 and 15, when the prices come down, what happens when they loosen regulations and you what can happens pick up when meat at the bodega? Store. Yeah. What yeah, happens when it's a liquor store, man? You know, and so, and so is that a long-term strategy to win? I don't know, man. I, I just, Hey, you can do it. Keep it in mind, but know what you're getting into yeah. the middle manufacturing brother. That's where the money's going to be long term. That's where real brands are created. That's where real value is created. Intellectual property that you can protect. And don't give me the bullshit about genetics. All right. I love genetics. Genetics it's are great. It's grower pride. It's grower pride. But, but the thing is, is, you know, now that we have testing, okay, how did, how did genetics get popular? First thing, most people, a lot of people will name the genetics based on what it was. Sour diesel. Hey, we're going to mash them together. Now you know what hey, it means. That's so the name of your pillow behind you. Exactly. And so, so now as a consumer, I can look at that and go, I got an idea of what it's going to be like, because I know yeah. it was made to get it and I'll buy it. So let's say you came up with a custom strain. Awesome. I came up with a custom strain. You got to market the shit out of it so that people know to buy it. They try it. They find out it's great. Let's assume you do that and you catch lightning in a bottle. Boom. Here's the issues that you're about to find out. Number one, you can't protect your genetics at all. You can't patent it. You can't trademark it. You can do any of that shit. That's right. So, yeah, you have your genetics out there. I go and I buy it. I've got your, your labs. So I know how the cannabinoid profile. In some cases, I'll know the terpene profile. If you know a good cannabis grower, and I'm sure you guys probably know a couple, a lot of them can look at it, smell it, and give you a pretty good idea. I can think of a couple of different crosses that this could be. I can look at your profile and go, I bet if I cross X and X, I'll get close. And close is all that fucking matters. That's right. Close is all that matters. Because if it smells like it, if it tastes like it, and it kind of gives you the same high, nobody gives a shit. Whether yeah. it's the real Girl Scout cookies or if it's someone well, who changes if, the do name, they give a whatever shit if it is. it's grown in premium indoor HPS lights, or do they give a shit if it's grown in a light depth greenhouse and the price of the bag is half the cost? They don't care. Yeah, Sparky, oh, have you seen the... Uh, <laughs> Most do not care. What's the lab in Oregon that had a controversy because they were taking genetics from everybody? And then at one time, uh, people thought that they were going to reuse those genetics for themselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I kind of re remember hearing about that story, but I, I don't have any deets on it. Their database, though, it's a, a constellation. And it's a really neat uh, 
interface as far as like you know it's all about terpene profiles and so like you know we grabbed this blue dream and it looks like it's third cousins to this uh snoop's dog dream or whatever you know it was a very mm-hmm. cool and like you said close enough no one gives a fuck just like shitty yeah. weed people buy well, shitty weed if you just test it and give them the answers you know so 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 let's say let's go back to my example because this gets way better all right so first of all to basically steal some of my market share someone can create something that's close might not be the same thing but now that's the taste of the town. They, they want that taste. And the bud tender says, well, this is pretty close and we're out of that other one. So now they're taking your market share, but it gets worse because there's a vape pen manufacturer out there who just went and got your labs and grabbed some THC distillate, maybe some CBD if he needed it, grab some uh, organic terpenes, mix it together and has a vape pen of your strain using your strain name, which you cannot protect. And they're selling it all day long. Okay, yeah. Tell me again how you're good, how your genetics are so valuable. Sorry, man. I'm not buying into that as a way, as a strong exit strategy or a way to protect yourself or real intellectual property. But in the manufacturing, let's look at someone like Papa and Barkley. They have a great pain balm, and the value is not the THC. It simply isn't. They ride full spectrum, very hard, and you know, no and solventless. Those are processes, yeah. but it's the THC. But you know what does count? everything else. What's the recipe that gives it this feel and this smell? And see, that's my, that's my 11 herbs and spices. That is my intellectual property. Yeah. How bad are like some edibles that you've eaten, like a cookie or a brownie from like one of these, they're just terrible. And so like the opportunity in those edible markets, if you could make it taste amazing and have perfect dosage, and that's, I think this has to be one of the more tricky wickets on the edibles is the regulation for the dosages themselves. And then also the prepackaging uh, recs. Uh, do you do much uh, consulting or have you seen much in like uh, what makes for preserving flavor and edible for packaging? Um, I personally do not. I know somebody who does. Uh, um, and that's, <laughs> and that's, that's it. And it works. And, okay. and, and, I, <laughs> and I will, and I'll also, I'll use this as a further little uh, colorful plug for Supercritical. Um, no, so, so uh, I, I've, I've got a pretty deep Rolodex in the industry. And so uh, I, I know people who, you know, anything you need, I probably know somebody um, who does it and does a really good job and uh, at a decent price. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not a, a food guy, but certainly consistency of dosage is a big deal. Um, we are working uh, with a technology company that has a very interesting uh, dosage uh, hardware for beverages. Um, and it's very, we're very excited because, you know, um, with COVID, you know, that's, you know, that's going to have an impact on like the larger size, like one gram and up pre-roll industry because people aren't going to be sharing pre-rolls anymore. And most people I know can't smoke a whole gram pre-roll, or at least even if they can, they don't want to. I like to roll my, my joints are probably coming in at over a gram, but that that's like today's joint. You know, I got yeah. all day to smoke this thing. I don't have to sit there. <laughs> no, I, I bought a few pre-roll earlier and I've been, I milked it before I came in and then I'm, I'll leave here a little bit. But you're right. I mean, I, and I kind of opine for because I was really, really optimistic for the pre-COVID contemplation of the social use cafes that even in Springfield, they were starting to make some rumblings about opening, you know, back in February and how it looked like we were actually going to have some type of uh, social use uh, I guess it would be a competitor to a bar uh, where you could go. But then if there was going to be that sharing of joints and, and passing of them, that's yeah, just not going to be happening for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And so this device allows you to infuse beverages in real time without you know, touching right. it. It can also do sublingual, but, you know, from a distance. Um, wow. It's really it's really interesting stuff. Um, I, I did looking over, uh, I didn't really answer the, should you build a light depth greenhouse or a premium indoor greenhouse? Um, you know, how you go about growing your cannabis isn't really what's important. What's important is, or what are you going to grow and who are you going to sell it to? And that's what you need to start with. I mean, I wouldn't build a facility unless I already knew what was my brand proposition, who are my customers that I'm going after, and have that heavily researched. Have the customers tell you exactly what they want. They're happy to do it. Uh, it's expensive research, but believe me, people will tell you what they want. They got no yeah. problem telling you what oh, they man. want. It's, that's one of the beauty things that I have in like my, my, one of my funnels. Why are you here? Yeah. And they have checkboxes. I'm like, man, these people really want X. 
So ask them why they're calling and then you can figure out what they want and be like, here, I got this for you. Yeah. 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 And so you, you go, you talk to the market, the market says, we want X, Y, and Z, and then build your facility to make X, Y, and Z and focus. You know, the problem I have with these vertically integrated companies in some states, it was forced, but in most states it wasn't. And stop and think about what you're saying you're going to do. Okay. Yeah. You're going to grow a, yeah. grow a crop, harvest a crop. You're going to extract the oil. You're then going to make everything from gummy bears to salves to, to vape, vape cartridges. Yeah. And you're going to retail it. You're going to do all of this from day one. And you're automatically going to have a corporate culture that will span from an agricultural business all the way through to finance and retail. I'm sorry. I think you're fucking crazy. It's never going and to your work. budget is $3 million. Yeah. Or you raise, or you raise uh, several hundred million dollars like a madman. Hey, and I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to jump up and down on those guys. I, you know, I don't need to say anything about them, but it didn't work, and it's not working at a lot of the publicly traded companies. They're they're swapping CEOs oh, yeah. like they're going out of style, yeah. and it's because you can't grab on to all of that. So my advice mm. to you: find who your customer is, find out what they want, do the fucking shit out of it. Be the best pre-roll guy. Be the best shatter guy. Just yeah. shat, just do one thing and do the shit out of it. Because once you own that white space, then you can expand out. Then you can do, do, do other shit and you take that brand loyalty you have and you just pummel your fucking competition into submission with it. Right. That's how you win, man. And so I don't give a shit what lighthouse you use. Doesn't or, you know, or what lighting, if you go lighthouse, indoor, if the customer fucking wants it and you fucking make it, that's what you do. That's exactly what you do. Let them tell you, man. They'll let you know. Trust oh, me. Yeah. And the data's out there. Sparky, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking to us about Supercritical and giving us some tips. <laughs> Where can we go to find and follow what you guys got going on at Supercritical? Uh, you can go to our website, supercritical.agency. Um, we're gonna, we gotta redo it. Uh, we did it in October real quick just to kind of get out of the gate. So you're not gonna get a ton of information there. Uh, but you can always reach out to me if you want more information about Supercritical. It's just sparky at supercritical.agency. Um, and yeah, and, and we're holding these sparkless summits, which are these virtual resource fairs. We just had one last weekend. Uh, we're hoping to have one or two more before the end of the year. Um, and so those are announced at our website, um, and, uh, and they're a lot of fun. Nice. And thank you for having me. I very All much right, appreciate it. All right, thanks again for you. Of course. Oh, we got to have you on later. Oh, am I? <laughs> am I still frozen? No, no. Am I still frozen? We to audit our show and, and, and throttle the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to do it for Cannabis Legalization News today. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all Cannabis Legalization News. We'll see you on Sunday.